You are listening to an Elftree Publishing Podcast. Our elves have been hard at work in search for meaningful and compelling content, so we hope you enjoy this show. And now, for our feature presentation. Enjoy. Featuring free-spirited conversation to help build a better future for generations to come. This is Elftree Publishing. be the first indication that this is happening because i don't think i mean the globalists aren't going to warn people in advance obviously. no they're not when are people going to know i mean it's like oh my gosh it's here what what the navy told uh, the veterans uh, in these classified briefings is what, it'll take about 30 days before the it to become obvious that the uh, that the worldwide flooding is kicking into place um, that's what that's what they were told Get your spiritual house in order, and get out of the cities. Get to an area 600 feet or higher above uh, above sea level, and and make sure you've got a safe haven. Run, run. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance. To evacuate is to leave with us, is to leave with us. From leaving behind the world of bioterrorism to off the grid and independent living, you're listening to Exit the Cult. Friday, everybody. It's me, your host, Joe Morales, and you're listening to Exit the Cult. Welcome to episode one. It's the podcast dedicated to exposing the lies of the mainstream media to help others wake up to the truth. Let's exit the cult together. It's September 3rd. Welcome to the very first official episode. I'm really excited to have started this podcast. I'm really excited that you're here. Anyone that's listening, thank you. Thank you for subscribing, downloading, and listening. We have a lot to talk about in this episode. Um, The feature interview is with John Moore. You heard a little clip of that, talking about the coming cataclysm. It's a coming global catastrophe the military and elites are keeping a secret from the masses pertaining to the 10th planet Nibiru. Um, You also heard that uh, your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. That was from... Marshall Applewhite. He was uh, one of the founders of the Heaven's Gate cult. He is going to be featured at the top of every single episode because I would say that's kind of one of those OG cults in American history. Heaven's Gate was a religious sect led by Marshall Herf Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles that combined apocalyptic Christian beliefs with UFO themes. On March 26, 97, police discovered 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult had committed mass suicide in their rented California mansion. That mansion at the time, guys, they were paying seven grand a month. Can you imagine? The origins of Heaven's Gate, the first incarnation of Heaven's Gate started in the early 1970s when Marshall Applewhite was recovering from a heart attack. He claimed to have had a near-death experience that led him to believe that he and his nurse, Bonnie Nettles, 
were the two witnesses referred to in the book of Revelations 11.3. Upon his recovery, they assumed various aliases such as Bo and Peep, and in 1975 formed a religious sect called Human Individual Metamorphosis. Him. H-I-M. They traveled throughout America to recruit crew members into their organization. At one point, the group went to a Colorado desert to wait for an unexpected UFO landing that never arrived. Nettles would eventually die of cancer in 1985, and Applewhite would continue to refine his belief system. In 1993, Applewhite formed a new sect called Total Overcomers Anonymous, where he started spreading the message of Earth's imminent recycling. Eventually, Applewhite renamed his sect Heaven's Gate. The group maintained itself financially by building websites for customers using the name Higher Authority. The Heaven's Gate philosophy states that 2,000 years ago, extraterrestrials from the kingdom of heaven visited Earth. One of these visitors commandeered the mind of Jesus Christ. Applewhite informed the group that these visitors have returned. He stated the extraterrestrial's mind that once resided in Jesus' body is now in him. Applewhite, now using the name Doe, pronounced Doe, D-O-E, stated the Earth will be recycled in the near future. Doe refined the recycling as a global renewing in which life as we know it is wiped away and starts anew. Heaven's Gate belief system was that the only way to achieve the next level was to leave their bodies to join the next level. He described their human bodies as, quote, the temporary containers of the soul. The final act of metamorphosis or separation of the human kingdom is the disconnect or separation from the human physical container or body in order to be released from the human environment, end quote. Get this. The Heaven's Gate cult mass suicide did not happen all at one time. 15 members committed suicide on March 24th, 15 of March 25th, and 9 of March 26th. In total, 21 women and 18 men died. The method involved adding crushed sleeping pills and applesauce or pudding and washing it down with vodka. The surviving members then place a plastic bag over their drug members' heads after they fall asleep to ensure death. Law enforcement discovered all the members neatly on their beds with a square purple cloth over their upper torso. They all wore a black t-shirt, sweatpants, and brand new Nike shoes. Each member had a $5 bill and three quarters in their pocket. Applewhite considered the members of his group as crew members. He identified himself as the Captain NT, who was Nettles, as the Admiral in their latest return back to Earth. Additionally, they added patches to their shirts identifying themselves as the Heaven's Gate away team. Applewhite seemed to borrow many references from the science fiction television and movie series Star Trek. In fact, Thomas, the brother of Nichelle Nichols, known for her role as Lieutenant Ura in the Star Trek series, also died with the group. Crazy shit, you guys. You are listening to Exit the Cold, only on Elf Tree Publishing. Enjoy. 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 Hey, enjoy. Hey, you. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, hey, you. Yeah, you. Enjoy. Yes, you. Enjoy. Welcome back, you guys. In music news, Nirvana sued by man who was nude baby on Nevermind cover. A 30-year-old man who appeared nude at four months old in 1991 on the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind album is suing the band and others alleging the image is child pornography they have profited from. The lawsuit filed by Spencer Eldon on Tuesday in federal court in California alleges that Nirvana and the record labels behind Nevermind intentionally commercially marketed Spencer's child pornography and leveraged the shocking nature of his image to promote themselves and their music at his expense. I mean, I guess that's true. Great record. 
Another interesting thing in music news was a quote from the Sex Pistols, John Lydon. He's quoted as saying, I never thought I'd live to see a day when the right wing would become the cool ones, giving the middle finger to the establishment, and the left wing becoming the sniveling, self-righteous twatty ones going around shaming everyone. Oh man, is he correct on that? According to Insider, Apple removes anti-vax dating app Unjected from the App Store for inappropriately referring to the pandemic. Apple on Saturday removed Unjected, a dating and community app for unvaccinated people from its app store, and a move that the app's owners likened to censorship. The company cited published interviews in which Unjected's founders said their app was for like-minded, unvaccinated individuals. And why shouldn't people be able to have an app that they can, if they want to date someone that wasn't vaccinated with an experimental mRNA vaccine, why shouldn't people be able to have that choice? I mean, there's apps all over the place putting that in their system. Restaurants. Dating apps, it's someone's standalone app. You choose to use it or not. You can choose to download it. Anyone that's interested in dating someone who's unvaxxed, who cares? Dating apps are ridiculous anyway. It's insane. The U.S. officially pulls out of Afghanistan in a completely botched exit. The Taliban takes over. Military dogs left behind. Billions of dollars of equipment left behind for the Taliban. Tanks, Blackhawks, guns, ammo, barracks, tactical gear, drones. Billions of dollars, you guys. I mean, they could have at least given me one of those Blackhawk helicopters. I could have sold that shit. You know how many records I could make selling one Blackhawk helicopter? Jeez. And now this in the news, you guys. Podcaster Joe Rogan has COVID-19, and he says he threw the kitchen sink at it. So I got back from the road Saturday night feeling very weary. I had a headache, and I just felt just run down. And just to be cautious... I separated from my family, slept in a different part of the house, and throughout the night, I got fevers and sweats. The meat sweats? I knew what was going on. So I got up in the morning, got tested, and it turns out I got COVID. So we immediately threw the kitchen sink at it. All kinds of meds, monoclonal antibodies, uh, ivermectin, Z-Pak, uh, prednisone, everything. Uh, And I also got an NAD drip and a vitamin drip. And I did that three days in a row. And so here we are on Wednesday and I feel great. I really only had one bad day. Sunday sucked, but Monday was better. Tuesday felt better than Monday. And today I feel good. I actually feel pretty fucking good. Uh, That's the good news. The bad news is we have to move Friday the Friday show in Nashville. Uh, It's going to move to Sunday, October 24th. So that will be the new Nashville date. My apologies to everyone. Obviously, there's nothing that I can control. Um, It is what it is. Crazy times we're living in. Uh, But a wonderful, heartfelt thank you to Modern Medicine for pulling me out of this so quickly and easily. And uh, my love to all of you. Thank you. Bye. And then there's Natural News. This is a crazy article. I'm going to... Let's get into this one. This one's really interesting. And I'm going to be honest, we're going to get into some heavy stuff here on the show. And, uh, you know, anyone out there that's tuning in, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to learn some things. You know, we're all going to do this together. Just bear with me. Here we go. Two Bombshell Interviews. John Moore Reviews Military Knowledge of Civilization Ending Global Event. While Attorney Thomas Renz Warns of Coming Tidal Wave of vaccine mandate lawsuits. 
If you're wondering why corrupt criminal governments of the world seem to be in such a hurry to mass vaccinate everybody with a deadly experimental non-approved gene therapy injection, one of the most shocking answers may be simpler than you think. According to analyst and radio host John Moore of The Liberty Man, who has many contacts with high-level U.S. Navy officers and scientists, a global extinction-level event is approaching, and the globalists are desperately trying to cull the human population before people figure out what's about to happen. If 7 billion-plus people were told the truth about the coming cosmic event that may devastate human civilization, they would all stop working, causing a near-instant collapse of the entire global infrastructure of manufacturing, transportation, food production, government, military, and so on. The globalists are still buying up loads of supplies such as food, electronics, firearms, ammunition, communications gear, etc., and they need the masses to keep on working until the very end. Otherwise, they can't acquire more supplies for themselves, even as these globalists are now hiding out on remote islands, moving into underground tunnel systems in cities, or planning to be off-planet when it all comes down. The event that John Moore refers to is a 10th planet flyby where a dark, large planetary mass that can only be seen with infrared telescopes passes near Earth's orbital plane around the sun. The gravitational effects alone, warned former top Navy scientists, will cause cataclysmic Earth changes consisting of unprecedented earthquakes, volcanoes, and even a pull shift that will reportedly reorient the physical polar axis of the planet, not just the magnetic poles, thereby shifting the equator and unleashing unimaginable ocean slosh that will inundate coastal areas on every continent. The coming events have been known since at least 1979, Moore explains, and the governments of the world have kept this secret from the public in order to keep society running until the very last day before the cataclysm arrives. On that day, global winds will be sustained at 200 miles per hour for a full day, Moore explains destroying nearly all human-built structures, which are above ground. Only below-ground structures in concrete and steel-reinforced above-ground structures stand a chance of surviving the winds. Once you survive the winds, your next challenge will be surviving the complete collapse of human civilization, as there will be no functioning farms, power grids, internet, transportation, infrastructure, fuel refineries, etc., There may not even be enough people to decommission the hundreds of nuclear power plants that are scattered across the planet, raising huge questions about what happens if they lose cooling capability and plunge into criticality. What what the Navy told uh, the veterans uh, in these classified briefings is it'll take about 30 days for it to become obvious that the that the worldwide flooding is kicking into place. Um, that's what that's what they were told. Um, as to the exact scenario, how it's going to play out, I, I quite frankly don't know uh, how it's going to play out. Uh, what's going to happen first? The flooding, the uh, uh, 200 mile an hour winds, the uh, kill shot. Uh, my best guess is about a, a 30 day period of time for all those things to take place. John Moore first fought terrorism in 1967. He is still fighting it today. Walking patrol in Vietnam at night, alone, he searched for terrorist booby traps. He searched for terrorist bombs in his Jeep and saw what happened to those who did not find them. JR flew 57 combat missions as a crew member over Vietnam and Cambodia, many of those being hit by enemy gunfire. John went on to join the Green Berets at Fort Bragg, where he trained to invade the Middle East. He also did classified studies of the Middle East terrorists for the Special Forces. Special operations, covert operations, psychological operations, undercover operations, surveillance operations, bodyguard for executives and stars like Ambassador Alan Keyes, 
Jane Fonda, uh, Charlton Heston, and Pat Buchanan. He was a private investigator and homicide detective. These are the jobs that have kept JR busy over the years. In research delving into the issue of Planet X, a.k.a. Nibiru, he has interviewed dozens of U.S. Navy submarine and surface fleet veterans on the subject of rapid global sea level rise, gleaning information from the questions he asks, questions the mainstream media is afraid to ask. His investigative prowess has allowed him to produce two major videos on the subject of Planet X, videos that are backed up by diligent research, documented history, and scientific fact. Here's Mike Adams of Brighteon.com speaking with John Moore. Today is one of the most fascinating individuals you'll ever hear from. His name is John Moore. He's known as the, the Liberty Man, and his website is thelibertyman.com. This is his second time joining us. We're going to talk about earth changes and the vaccine war on humanity and the globalist acceleration of the extermination plan and other topics. So, John, it's, it's great to be back with you. I really enjoyed our conversation last time. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Uh, we probably need to do this more frequently, given the circumstances we live in. I completely agree. I'd love to have you on uh, on a more regular basis. But, you know, out of the things that I just mentioned there, what do you think is the most um, urgent for people to, to realize what's happening? Well, the, the most urgent is the make-believe kill shots that people are, are rolling up their sleeves for what they're calling vaccinations, which aren't vaccinations. That's what's going to kill the most people the quickest. The violent earth changes will kick in at some point, and the uh, powers that be, for want of a better term, they're speeding up what they're doing uh, because they want to get their shiny new world order in place uh, before the violent earth changes shut down everything, including them. And what they don't want is hundreds of millions or billions of people roaming around the planet that they don't control. They want those people dead. And so that's why the kill shot is in place. You're listening to Exit the Cult, only on Elf Tree Publishing. And now, for a brief commercial break. Enjoy. Last week, the president called on states and local governments to use funding they have received, including from the American Rescue Plan, to give $100 to anyone who gets fully vaccinated. If financial incentives like these help us get more shots in arms, we should use them. But in addition to incentives, it's time to impose some requirements based on the realities of different risks unvaccinated individuals pose versus those who have been vaccinated. Last week, the Department of Veteran Affairs announced it will require doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers who provide medical care to our veterans to get vaccinated. This is in lockstep with many healthcare employers around the country who are requiring vaccinations and will protect our veterans when they get medical care. Every federal government employee will be asked to attest to their vaccination status. Any federal employee who does not attest or is not vaccinated will be required to mask no matter where they work, get tested once or twice a week, socially distance, and generally will not be allowed to travel for work. It's simple. If you want to do business with the federal government, get your workers vaccinated. Welcome back to Exit the Cult. We had to take a little bit of a break there. That uh, that story that we are diving into with Mike Adams and John Moore is a little bit intense. I understand. I understand. It's really kind of freaky to think about <laughs> 200 mile an hour winds uh, basically wrecking shop on the planet 
Um, that's it's pretty terrifying. Um, but yeah, this uh, this in this is from the defender. Biden makes it official: federal workers must get vaccine or submit to regular testing. Postal union others push back, so people are starting to um, see a little bit of this overreach that's happening. And uh, it's about time because it's only going to get worse from here until people continue to push back. I mean, that's really the only end result we have. There's no sitting in a fairy tale land thinking that the government's going to just finally go, okay, we're just, nah, let's just let this dissipate. They're not going to let this dissipate. This is a, this is a program that's unfolding right before our eyes. And the pushback is all we're going to see to know if humanity is going to just acquiesce to this or if people are going to fight back and demand uh, their freedoms, their liberties. This is why people fought the revolutionary war. This is why they created the constitution, the bill of rights, It's just one of those things where it's like, this is a very sensitive time in American history where most people got so damn comfortable, they didn't even realize how lucky they were to get to this point where now people are creating problems because uh, they've got too much freedom on their their hands. So now they're creating a world in which you got to blame everybody from the past who uh, ever owned a slave or, you know, ever slapped somebody on the ass. I don't know, but... It's just gotten to the point where it's just ludicrous and uh, at all fronts, pandemic or no pandemic, uh, we as people have been uh, fighting this war against the elites for a very long time. And this is just one of these moves they've made that is irreversible. So what we do from here is going to be really interesting. But uh, let's get back into this interview with Mike Adams. What's fascinating is that as we're recording this, uh, uh, Joe Biden is about to announce mandatory vaccines for all federal workers across the country, while the DOJ just announced that it's legal for all private sector companies to mandate these gene therapy injections, which are not vaccines. Uh, I mean, number one, almost everybody works either for the government or the private sector. You know, very few people are self-employed. So, uh, but, but secondly, we were told these are experimental shots and they would never be mandated unless they're fully approved by the FDA, which they haven't been. So that's thrown out the window. But to your point, doesn't this look like Biden has just ordered sort of a mass killing of uh, federal workers and private uh, industry workers? Well, absolutely, Mike. Uh, when I tell people that are in the middle of dealing with that, you can always get another job, but you only get one life. Unless you're a Hindu and believe in reincarnation, you only get one life. Yeah, the, the economic circumstances would be difficult. Uh, missing mortgage payments, missing car payments, while you're trying to find other employment. But the, the, the getting the shot means death. And that can't be changed. So as tough as it may be to walk away from a pension, walk away from a job, a regular paycheck, that's what people need to do if they want to live. These COVID shots are not FDA approved. They can't be, and they won't be FDA approved because they haven't gone through the protocols of animal testing, which they can't do either because all the animals die. And you and I know that, Mike. So it's a tough place to be. If you're a federal worker or working for an employer who's going to enforce the uh, vaccine mandates, not all employers will do it, but many will. Well, I've, I've even I've had conversations with people working for the federal government, and one of the arguments they give to me is, "Well, hey, if I just work another year, I'm going to get all these great retirement benefits as a federal pension." And I'm like, "No, you're not. Have you looked at the national debt and the currency printing? So, even the paycheck." at the end of the rainbow that they think they're going to get, that's, that's gone real soon. 
Well, Mike, the, the original federal pension program, which which lasted all through the uh, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was changed in the 80s, I believe. And uh, there were people who were given the opportunity to buy into it, but that was cut off also. It was it was generous to the point that it would have bankrupted the country. The current federal uh, pension is still good, but not nearly as generous as the uh, older one that people had back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, but people will, and I've seen this all my life, uh, when I was in Vietnam, the older soldiers who knew the war was wrong, uh, they had uh, a wife, children, a mortgage, and, and payments to make, and they weren't about to say anything that would jeopardize their military retirement uh, pension. That wasn't going to happen. The younger soldiers, like myself, I was 20 years old, 21. I had no wife, no mortgage, no, no uh, pension to look forward to. We spoke out about the uh, things that were wrong about the Vietnam War because we had nothing to lose. And that's human nature, Mike. People that have something to lose, they will do what they can to preserve it. In this case, they're preserving what they've got to lose by, quite frankly, giving up their life. I know how intense that sounds, but from where John Moore is coming from, the research is ongoing. No one knows if these vaccines are safe. Ultimately, we do know thousands of people to date have died from these vaccines. We don't know if there's going to be millions more dying. And there are doctors, virologists, people coming forward now. I mean, even Reuters put out an article. Um, Mike Yeadon, he's a former vice president of Pfizer. He, he came forward basically talking about um, asymptomatic infection, virus variants, and the vaccine, and how it affects pregnant women. And he was basically sounding the alarm. And um, he's even speaking out. So the blood clotting is happening. People are realizing if you do a D-dimer test, they're finding these micro blood clots in people's lungs and all throughout the brain. So there's a lot of stuff happening that we don't know. And to just have this open experiment going and seeing commercials on television telling us it's safe to go get one at CVS or Walgreens or Walmart or in the parking lot of your school, this is potentially the largest genocide in human history, and that, I believe, is where John is coming from. That's why he's sounding the alarm and speaking about these things the way he does, saying, if you're going to go and get a jab because you don't want to lose your pension, you don't want to lose your paycheck, you're essentially killing yourself, as thousands have already died. I'd like to ask you, on, on that point, you and I both have heard many uh, very qualified doctors, uh, doctors with names like Dr. Hoffe or Dr. Martin or Dr. McCullough, uh, and Mercola as well, and Tenpenny, and many, many others uh, give different estimates of what they think may happen in terms of uh, deaths. Uh, and, and I think it ranges from a low of like 30% to a high of 80%. Do you have any sense of how many people you think might end up dying from the, the long-term effects, complications, uh, vascular damage from these vaccines? Well, I'm certainly, I'm a homicide detective. I'm not a doctor. When I, when it came to high school science, I was on the football field. So, but uh, I'm a pretty smart guy and I know how the world works and I know enough about health to maybe talk a little bit intelligently about it. First of all, the people I believe most at risk are the same people at risk from the COVID anyway. People who are obese, people who have heart issues, people who have lung issues, uh, people who have high blood pressure, uh, they're already at risk. So certainly they're at risk of death from these COVID shots. 
Uh, we're already seeing, now I had a doctor on my show this morning, uh, a doctor I know personally, Dr. James from the Can Metro Kansas City, Missouri area. And he said that his personal knowledge, people being admitted to the hospitals right now, the last week of July, 2021, 75% of them have had the COVID shot. Uh, which is in direct contradiction to what the government's saying, which is 90% of the people being admitted for COVID right now uh, did not have the COVID shot. It's an absolute blatant lie, uh, what, they're, what they're telling people, Mike. So uh, my estimate is, uh, as far as the number of deaths, uh, look, at, look at the general health of the population. That's a good starting point. Well, it's pretty bad. It's pretty poor. Well, well, Mike, no country on the planet spends more money per person per year on health care in the United States. Uh, there, there's, not, there's no country that even comes close. But there's about 40 countries where people live longer than the United States, including some third world countries that spend almost no money per person per year. Something's really broken there. Now, most American citizens over age 50 take one or more pharmaceutical products on a daily basis. Once you get to 60, it's typically three to four. Once you get to 70, it's four to five. Of course, now that tells me these people, if you take a single pharmaceutical product every day of your life, you don't have optimal health. Of course you don't. You take two or more, it's, it's less. You take four to five, of course it's less. People who consume multiple pharmaceutical products on a daily basis, they're more at risk of death from anything, in my opinion, in my non-medical opinion, which translates into certainly being more at risk from death from the COVID shots. Does that make sense, Mike? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's almost like this is America's vulnerability. We are, in, in many ways, the least healthy nation in the world. You know, we, for example, we just published an article on uh, a Japanese superfood called natto, N-A-T-T-O. This published research about how natto may be able to halt uh, spike protein uh, replication and vascular damage, tissue damage in the body. Well, the Japanese eat natto for breakfast. Americans have never heard of that. You know what I'm saying? Americans are having like flapjacks and Pop-Tarts, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's not a healthy culture. I know. I know. It's disgusting. Uh, I tried eating a Pop-Tart once. It was disgusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so is that, is that NATO with a different spelling, a different pronunciation? N-A-T-T-O. Uh, N-A-T-T-O. N-A-T-T-O. Natto. And it, there's, a, there's an enzyme from it called natokinase that I know is a supplement out there. I actually take it, but I, I just took it for reducing cardiovascular inflammation as a general thing. And then I just found out, oh my gosh, this, this may have applications for you know, uh, infections and viruses and so on. So, but anyway, the point is, the average American doesn't even take you know, basic like vitamin D. So <laughs> how are they going to deal with uh, all these insults from bioweapons? There is some hope. The Ivermectin protocols, it's a free download of my website uh, on the, uh, uh, I've got all these COVID panels. I've got dozens of articles and videos about COVID, but uh, in panel two, uh, it's highlighted in, in yellow, the Ivermectin protocols, which I do every day, uh, except the Ivermectin. Uh, people at risk should take the Ivermectin as a prophylactic, but I don't need it because I'm not at risk. But the rest of them I do, and, and here they are, Mike, vitamin okay. D3, 1,000 to 3,000 international units a day. Vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams a day. Quercetin, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, 250 milligrams a day. Yeah, quercetin's really, really good. I take that too. 
and zinc, 50 milligrams a day, yeah. melatonin at night before you go to bed, six milligrams to help you be drowsy. Now, if you actually do have the um, COVID, this is what you take. And I'm, I'm skipping over the ivermectin because it has a dosage based on your body weight. Right. But, and by the way, is this from America's frontline doctors or what? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. I thought I recognized. Okay. Yes, sir. So if you got the COVID and you're not in the hospital, uh, you, you take the ivermectin so much per body weight, it's two milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, very little, by the way, one dose, one, one day, and then two, and for maximum two days, minimum two days, up to five days. And then they bump up the vitamin D3. That's a D3, Delta 3, for 4,000 international units a day. Vitamin C is internally 2,000 milligrams two to three times a day. It's a lot of vitamin C. Quercetin, 250 milligrams twice a day instead of once a day. Zinc, 100 milligrams twice a day. That's doubled. Melatonin, 10 milligrams, uh, a bit more before bedtime. And then they want you to take some aspirin unless, unless you have an issue with aspirin. Now, the frontline doctors on the right side of this page, they have advice to wear a mask and social distancing, which is a bunch of silliness and has no basis in science. But I, I guess they felt like they needed to put that in there to be politically correct and, and not have people reject everything else they're doing. Well, let me let me add this, because just in the last 48 hours, the CDC has flipped the entire script on all of this in order to be able to push the mask mandate that they're now pushing. Uh, CDC director, uh, what's her name, Walensky, I think, she is now all over the media, and I mean USA Today, Yahoo News, NBC, saying that vaccinated people can now essentially be super spreaders. Vaccinated people can have higher viral loads than unvaccinated people, and vaccinated people can be infectious. And she's saying that we're only a couple mutations away from vaccines being obsolete. And, and they're, they're using this now to say this is why everybody has to go back to masks. And I'm like, well, wait a second, you liars, you freaking liars. Last Tuesday, we made the decision to um, uh, advise masking uh, America among those who are fully vaccinated. And that was decisions based on data that we had seen just as several days before and corroborated even within hours or a couple of days before. Um, we made those recommendations based on data we had. The data were released on Friday, just three days later. And um, if we had waited to release the data, we would have um, had, uh, you know, people who would unknowingly potentially bring uh, a virus to their loved ones, to their immunosuppressed loved ones. We felt it a moral imperative to inform the American public as soon as we knew and publish the data as soon as we could within three days of our guidance. The data, because the data, you know, because the data, we go as soon as we got the data, the data was the data. So just, so just trust us. Mask your children. Mask yourself. Just, just trust us. We're going to reshape your entire reality, your entire way of communication. But just trust us because the data is coming in. As the data comes in, just don't ask any questions and wear your fucking mask. You're listening to Exit the Cult, only on Elf Tree Publishing. Now, enjoy the rest of the show, useless eaters. I'm Bill Gates. I, I, I told my daughter, I said, I said we got teenage uh, youngsters in her home, twins. Uh, they just turned, I think they turned 15 next month. Anyway, and they're athletes, and, and uh, they're, maintain, they're, man, they're mandating athletes wear these masks. And I said, well, honey, why don't you get these mosquito net masks for, for your, your children? And 
And she says, all oh, they're teenagers, Dad. They don't want to be different than the other teenagers. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's why teenagers right. are. They don't want to be different than the other teenagers. And, and I, I respect that. But, uh, yeah, these mask mandates are harmful. Uh, now, you, you probably don't know, Mike, but our, some of our listeners may not. For children under age five, uh, wearing a mask, it's harming their brains. Their brains are still growing and developing. You cut down the oxygen to a, a growing brain. You cause permanent, irreversible damage when you cut down the oxygen for a, a young child, uh, I would say pre-puberty, well, let's just be safe here, pre-puberty, where their brains are still growing. So they, but they know, I mean, the people pushing this, they know all this, they know that- Of that, course they do. I mean, they know that it's gonna cause long-term infertility and not just the deaths of those that may yet be coming on top of those already dead. Did you see, you know, sad, sadly, this woman, uh, African-American woman from Minneapolis, she took the vaccine three days later, had to have both legs amputated, and now she's going to have to have her hands amputated because the blood clots cut off the blood to her extremities. I mean, my God. Well, her, exa her example is an extreme example of what's happening in everybody who got the shots. And I, you know, once again, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but there's such a thing as uh, uh, blood clots so small they can't be seen except by very special, highly specialized testing that can pass through the blood-brain barrier, for example, and accumulate in your brain. And apparently that's what they do, is accumulate in certain places. And everybody who's got the COVID shot has these uh, micro blood clots in their system right now, doing what they do, circulating through the bloodstream and going to the, uh, I can't do the, the British pronunciation, but going to the capillaries, those very small, the smallest of the small blood veins and accumulating there and causing long-term harm. And we need to let people know, if they don't already know it, Mike, you can't be unvaccinated. That's right. You can't be. And when I meet people, whether they're uh, a casual acquaintance, a friend, a relative, uh, I just, I don't have a conversation with them because what's the point? They're done. They're finished. What happened so, to them can't be undone. I'd, I'd be polite. I love them, but they're finished. In a penitentiary system, there was a movie made about, you know, about walking, dead man walking. And that's essentially what these people are, unfortunately. Men, women, and uh, was it a, it was a week ago today. Yeah, this is Wednesday. A week ago today, the make-believe president at the Center for Disease Con Creation made a speech saying, oh, we'll soon have the COVID vaccines for children under 12. Well, they want to kill everybody, Mike. Yeah, Everybody. clearly. But let's talk about the acceleration of all this. Uh, so, well, explain it the best way you can, but why? Why are they moving this up? A lot of this was 2030 or 2050 before. Why now? As far as pushing it up, well, there's two reasons. First of all, it will become, the mass media can cover up a lot. But when people start dying in several months in great numbers, this game is over of convincing people to take the COVID shot. It'll be finished. Uh, they want as many people dead as quickly as possible. Uh, I don't know how quickly the violent earth changes are going to be coming in. The government knows because they've been tracking the 10th planet since 1979. That's well known within uh, certain segments of the government. It's highly classified. Uh, and of course, my original work, Mike, that's separate from everybody else who's studied and worked on Planet X publicly is the following. Uh, because of my position as a concealed carry instructor here in Missouri and living in the Ozarks, I've had many, many 
uh, retired Navy people, especially retired submariners, as they call themselves, not submariners, they call themselves submariners, in my pistol classes. And in that relationship, they revealed to me uh, the classified briefings that they attended in the U.S. Navy Submarine Corps, where they were told that during their lifetimes, there would be violent earth changes, including worldwide flooding, an inland sea in the United States where the Mississippi River Valley is now, uh, 200 mile an hour winds for probably a day, and uh, possibly a kill shot from the sun in terms of a uh, coronal mass ejection. And they were also advised in these classified briefings that the Arkansas Missouri Ozarks is one of the known safe havens, which is why I've met so many of these guys, which is why you probably know the Prophecy Club, uh, Stan Johnson. Uh, I was on two nationwide tours, uh, and one of them had to do with this topic. And I'm in Detroit, Mike, talking to a, a, a meeting. We had a hotel meeting room with about 300 people in it, standing room only. Three-hour presentation, two 15-minute breaks. And a gentleman walks up, shakes my hand. He says, John, I'm in the insurance industry. Myself and my co-workers, we've wondered for, for years, why are there so many retired Navy people in the zip codes of the Arkansas Missouri Ozarks? He says, now we know. Now mm-hmm. we know. Right. So I don't know the time frame. What the, here's what the veterans are told in the Navy. They were told, gentlemen, they were told, gentlemen, in your lifetimes. That's all they were told. Now, the people who want to know a date, Mike, when's it going to happen? I've determined this because I've been at it now for 20 years. The people who want to know a date are the ones who aren't living a day-to-day lifestyle of preparedness. Because once you are living a day-to-day lifestyle of preparedness, a date becomes irrelevant. It has no meaning to you anymore. That's right. You're living that lifestyle. That's who you are. It's your daily life. And a date has no significance to you whatsoever. It might be interesting. You might make some minor changes and adjustments if you had a date. But otherwise, it has no relevance, Mike. So essentially, it is wise to prepare yourself in any way you can, as simply as you know, having a flashlight, having extra batteries, having some water, non-perishable food, having a go bag. Like in California, we have a an earthquake kit, which is essentially you have a change of clothes, some sneakers, and then a bunch of first aid stuff, a couple food packs, a life straw to filter out polluted water. But yeah, it is very wise to prep. Even if nothing happens, at least you're prepared if it does. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? And we have to get in those communities, and we have to knock on those doors, and we have to convince people, and put them in a car, and drive them, and get that vaccine in their arm. (laughs) That is the mission. It's a choice to live with this virus. And with all due respect, you don't have a choice to go out and drink and drive and put everybody else's lives at risk. That's the equivalent of this moment 
with the deadliness and efficiency of the Delta virus. You're putting other people's, innocent people's lives at risk. People need to get vaccinated. That's what we're working for. Is it frustrating with the number of unvaccinated as these cases rise? We're keeping on. We're keeping on. So we're not going to stop till we get everybody vaccinated. Why not um, push for vaccine mandates in states, private companies, schools? Do you want to see those entities pass vaccine mandates? Well, I, I'd like to see them continue to move in that direction, and that's why I'm, I'm pointed out. I had asked the Justice Department to determine whether that is they're able to do that legally, and they can. Local communities can do that. Local businesses can do that. It's still a question whether the federal government can mandate the whole country. I don't know that yet. Let me ask you about Governor Cuomo of New York. I know you said you want the investigation to continue. If the investigation confirms the claims of the women, should he resign? Yes, I think he'd probably end up being prosecuted, too. Welcome back to Exit the Cult. So we are uh, kind of in the middle of this interview with Mike Adams and John Moore. I I honestly wasn't really sure how intense this was going to be, but to me, this is kind of a really intense interview. Um, and honestly, I do need to state, just for the record, for myself, for the show, I don't know the credibility of any of this information. This is just something that I came across and thought was extremely interesting and definitely worth sharing, especially given the times and the way everything is kind of seems to be spinning out of control and I just thought this was an interesting topic because if this stuff has been circulating and people have been discussing this 10th planet for decades, um, I think it's kind of interesting maybe for us to start maybe thinking about potentially that being a reality that we're, we're faced with. So I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know whether this information is real or not. I just find it very entertaining and uh, it's kind of edge of the seat entertaining type of information that I love to come across. And uh, whether it's real or not, hopefully it isn't. It's something that it appears the entire globe is going to have to deal with. So this, uh, this next section of the show, we get into Mike and John discussing the 10th planet. Can you review, just for those who haven't seen our previous interview, and just kind of summarize uh, the 10th planet the the flyby the you know, gravitational changes. You know, we're not talking about a collision with Earth. We're talking about gravitational changes. Just give us an overview, please. Oh, well, we, we can do that. Uh, first of all, most of astronomy is not looking through a telescope at stars. Most of astronomy is mathematics. That's what most that's what astron math astronomers, professional astronomers, are mathematicians. Since about the early part of the 20th century, around 1905, 1909, somewhere in there, astronomers found uh, that something called perturbations, it would be a, a wobble for us, us non-astronomers, non that the outer planets, especially Pluto and a couple of the other outer planets, when they got to a certain point in their orbit, they would all, they would all wobble. Uh, and that's because of a large object uh, exerting gravitational pull. So they knew there was something out there uh, causing a, a large object with a strong gravitational pull. They had a, a pretty good idea where and the direction to, to travel to find it. Uh, it was 1979 when the Pioneer 10 space probe got to the right place in space because they knew where to look to find the 10th planet. It was about 70 years when they had the technology available to do that. Uh, that's the 10th planet is what they found. 
Uh, the reason it's difficult to see is because uh, it, it's got a cloaking uh, covering of dust that's except in a limited time frame. I think in June they can see it with normal telescopes, but the rest of the time, the only scope telescopes that can see it can, have to look in the infrared light spectrum. Regardless, 1979 is when they began in earnest preparing for this thing because their mathematical calculations told them the size, the speed, the direction of the tenth planet. And it gave them a time frame to begin preparing, which they've been doing now since 1979. Uh, some of it very public uh, with cover stories. Uh, a couple of examples, Mike. Uh, now, let's say you're going to mess around with really fun stuff like foot and mouth disease, that if it gets loose, cause all kinds of problems, and anthrax, and, and things like that that are very dangerous. Would it be a smart idea, Mike, to uh, maybe buy a 300-acre island 100 miles off the East Coast, off the coast of Connecticut and New York, to build your lab to do that? That would be pretty smart, wouldn't it, Mike? <laughs> that's what they did. Of course it would. It's Plum Island. Yeah. Right. And that's what they did. They bought Plum Island, and they built about five or six structures on there. You can see Google Earth photographs of it. It looks like a 300-acre golf course with five buildings on it. The cover story is, oh, we ran out of space on Plum Island, so we're going to move everything. And where do they pick to move it? The worst possible place you can imagine, in the middle of the most productive real estate for agriculture on the planet, Manhattan, Kansas. The reason they put it there is because of the university and the university resources nearby. Uh, so Plum Island is for sale, Mike, if you want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no thanks. You'd have to you'd have to nuke it to decontaminate it at this point. I don't point, know what right? it would take to decontaminate. It would take some really uh, powerful incinerators. That's one open story. Another open story. Let's say you've got a facility with oh maybe oh ten thousand people, Mike, and you want to move it somewhere. You're not going to do that. You're not going to move those people a thousand miles away unless you got no choice. So if you want to move your facility with 10,000 people, you have to build a mirror image facility with all the workstations, all the telephones, all the computers, the parking lot, uh, the break rooms, everything before you move these people, don't you, sir? That's right. Okay. Sure. Well, that's what the CIA did, moving from Langley, Virginia to Denver, Colorado. And the cover story, they stopped using it because even their own people were laughing at it. The cover story was, we want to break up the good old boy network that's been in place for so many decades. And they so they're, did, all, they, they're all moving away from the coast and moving absolutely. In, inland. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, there's, a, there's another cover story. It's just as laughable. Um, NSA's main facility was at Fort Meade, Maryland for decades. And um, here's what they said. Oh, the local utility can't provide us enough electricity, so we're moving to Utah. Now, yeah, Mike, that's crazy, right? If you're selling electricity, do you think if your customers wanted more electricity, that you figure out a way to get more to them? Well, especially if your customer is, you know, the federal government or, or exactly, yeah, exactly. But the NSA has moved to Utah, a massive, world-class computer center there. They moved to Denver. They moved to Atlanta. There's going to be two new capitals. The main one and the one in the west will be Denver. The eastern one and the smaller one will be in Atlanta. Atlanta's the highest altitude major. I think the FBI uh, just built a major new, supposed to be a secondary headquarters. That's going to be their primary headquarters. I forgot what state that's in, but 
the FBI headquarters in D.C. has been closed up for a long time, uh, reportedly. Oh, Mike. Now, here's what the Navy veterans were told in the classified briefings. That everything east of the Blue Ridge Parkway, which typically is 80 to 100 miles from the Atlantic Ocean, will be underwater. That everything 600 feet, well, 300 feet and lower, will be underwater. I recommend people get at least 600 feet above sea level. These Navy veterans in these briefings were shown a map. We call it the Navy map. Now, there's about 20 versions of this, Most, many of them done by psychics uh, and so forth. Uh, I worked with three different veterans to recreate the Navy map. Now, these guys are working from memory going back to about 1985, by the way, to recreate the map as best they could. It's not meant to be accurate down to the last foot or even the last mile. It's meant to give a general representation of what will be underwater and what will be above water, not an exact foot-by-foot, mile-by-mile uh, representation. Right, and we're going to show the map as you're talking. Uh, we're going we're gonna to put that on here so people can see. And it's, uh, I'm familiar with the map. Uh, it's shocking. There's an interesting side note. If you overlay a map of where all the FEMA camps are on top of the Navy map, you'll find maybe two FEMA camps that would be underwater out of all the different 25 or 30 or 35, whatever it is, FEMA camps. I thought that was kind of an interesting side note. Um, could, could I ask you, though, just... Yes, sir. Uh, you, I know you answered this in the last interview, but I, wanna, I want you to please explain to our audience why the sea level rises because of the shifting of the crust and what happens with the melting and the rising well, this at is, that time. One of the difficulties I had was the Navy veterans were in the folding chairs in the audience. They weren't the scientists. They were told what would happen. They weren't told why or how. It took me several years, but I figured it out. What I found out is common knowledge in uh, all universities that, that teach oceanography. Um, okay, I'm going to hold up my hands. This is the Earth, and in the middle is the equator. Now, uh, sea level is measured at Cornwall, England, which is uh, about as close to the North Pole as Moscow. Cornwall, England is pretty far north. And a couple hundred years ago, England was ruling the seas, and they took a big rock at the edge of the ocean, Mike, and they drew a horizontal line on it, and they said, this is sea level. So once you get to the equator, sea level is about 500 feet above that horizontal line at Cornwall, England. That water, which is tens of thousands of cubic, cubic miles of water, north and south of the equator, held in place by two things, gravity and rotation of the Earth. When we were children, I, I'm sure you did it, Mike, and most of, the, most of our listeners, take a bucket full of water in the backyard and swing it over your head, and the water doesn't come out, held in place by that centrifugal force. Anything that disrupts the rotation of the Earth is going to disrupt that bulge of water north and south of the equator, causing it to move to the new equator. And when that happens, there's going to be, the technical, technical name is slosh. This slosh will be worldwide, affecting some areas worse than others. But basically, all areas near an ocean will be wiped out by the slosh of the oceans when this uh, Earth change changes our equator and establishes a new equator and establishes a North Pole. And this is 
hard scientific fact. It's not speculation. The North Pole has been in many different places. It's common knowledge, Mike, that if you dig through the permafrost in the Alaska in, near the Arctic Circle, you find tropical plants. That's not That's a secret. Right. Yeah, yeah that, you're exactly right. And, and also well-preserved animals that lived in tropical rainforests. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, here's what happens. Um, there's two North Poles. A lot of people don't know. I teach compass courses, and a lot of people don't know there's two North Poles. There's magnetic north, where the compass points to, and there's true north, which is the center of where the Earth, the Earth rotates. And there are two different places, at least for the time being. Magnetic north has been moving for 3,600 years towards uh, Russia, inch by inch, foot by foot. And uh, if I'm a wannabe pilot, I've got, I think, officially 20 hours in my pilot log and unofficially about three times that much where I sat and you know helped control the plane. But that's a different story. But the, uh, the ends of the runways uh, all over the world, worldwide, are have numbers on them. Those numbers represent the magnetic direction of that uh, runway. So it could be three, six, or two, four, or seven, five, or whatever it is. Right. Periodically, depending on where the runway is, those numbers have to be repainted. And I got all these calls, it's been about, oh, 10, 15 years ago, that there was a, a press release about the Tampa, Air, Tampa, Florida airport having the numbers repainted. And all these people are frantic. They're calling me. They're emailing me. Oh, John, this is happening. And I have to let them know, this is routine. There's nothing unusual about this. As magnetic north changes, the numbers have to be repainted. So here's what happens, Mike. For 3,600 years, magnetic north moves in a certain direction. And then in about three days, true north catches up with magnetic north. And then the whole process, starts, whole process starts all over again. That's the violent earth change that we're concerned about. When magnetic north uh, is caught up with true north and the, and the equator changes and all this water is dislodged from where it's been for so many centuries, causing worldwide flooding. So just, just to add a note to that, I, I want to help people imagine <clears throat> excuse me, the, the mass of earth, the mass of all the mountains, the land, the water, everything inside the earth, the crust, everything. Imagine that mass, it's like a spinning top, but then suddenly the axis of rotation shifts, which means, I mean, this, is, this has got to unleash volcanoes, earthquakes, not just the ocean slosh, like you said, but all these other things. Precisely. And winds. The Cascade, yes, sir, the Cascade Mountains are not mountains or volcanoes. Uh, That's right. I live fairly near the, the most dangerous seismic zone on the planet, the new mattered seismic zone. Uh, but there's a protective uh, mountain range of granite between most of the Ozarks and that seismic zone. But what the Navy says about the new, new mattered seismic zone, and by the way, it's new mattered, not new Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, is that the weight of the water of this inland sea will trigger three nine-point-plus earthquakes on a new matter seismic zone, causing great damage north and south and east. Now, in the winter of 1911, I mean, 1811, 1812, uh, there were hundreds of earthquakes on a new matter seismic zone. Three of them rang church bells on the east coast in Philadelphia. Now, that's a lot of power to travel about a 1,000 miles ring church bells. Building back better. 
means giving support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. We owe it to future generations to build back better. We have a great opportunity to build back and build back better. To do things differently. To build back better and to build back bolder. And folks, it's not sufficient to build back. We have to build back better. That's what my plan is, to build back better. In 1811, 1812, almost nobody lived more than 80 or 100 miles east or west of the midst of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, there were settlements, there were small cities, but for the most part, not that many back then. And um, of course, now all everything east of Mississippi is heavily populated with really large cities, uh, east, south, northwest, east of the Mississippi River. All those, all those cities are at great risk of these earthquakes, regardless of their elevation. They're at great risk of the earthquakes. I mentioned briefly a, a moment ago about the 200 mile an hour winds. Now, here's what happens there. The uh, jet stream comes down to the surface of the planet. Straight line winds, about 200 miles an hour for about a day. Most human built structures above grade, above ground, won't survive that. The majority of them won't. That's right. Yeah. A, a really strong steel-reinforced concrete might, but uh, oh, very few structures will survive that. A steel-reinforced concrete structure that's round has a much greater chance. Of course, with winds of that velocity, you're going to have things thrown around like school buses. You know, All school right. bus hitting your structure is going to ruin your whole day. Um, <laughs> uh, also, it's going to wipe out all the crops that are currently growing. It's going to wipe out wipe out the the forests and precisely. You know, the, basically the entire infrastructure that currently powers. This has happened occasionally. There was straight line winds in the Czech Republic about 10 or 12 years ago that wiped out an entire forest. And we've had occasional straight line winds in this country over 100 miles an hour. Those aren't hurricanes. They aren't tor tornadoes. These are yeah, straight the, line winds. The term, isn't it called derecho? Well, or or. Is that because I've heard that damaging crops? Say, that's, a, that's a land based hurricane, is what that is. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And um, those have started happening. Uh, there's a follow up story on that. Uh, there's something nationwide uh, called a Skywatch, which is where civilians are trained to accurately observe and accurate, accurately report uh, adverse weather to the local authorities, such as the, the local sheriff's department or police department, whatever it might be. And there's training sessions for that. Very good friend of mine, uh, she she's a retired uh, engineer, uh, environmental engineer. She was at a Skywatch training program just oh, five or six weeks after Hurricane Katrina. The young uh, scientist uh, who was training the class, uh, he was uh, probably about 36 or so, uh, they were out in the hallway on a break and talking about Hurricane Katrina. And the young scientist, he said, just wait until you start seeing uh, these hurricanes forming over land. 
My friend attempted to ask a follow-up question. The young scientist quickly realized that his paycheck and his pension would be at risk if he told what he knew about hurricanes forming over land, and he, he did not answer her question, and, and everybody went back into the classroom. But since then, we have had hurricanes forming over land. In fact, Mike, there was one that came over my neighborhood here about eight or nine years ago, and it was horrendous. It moved across several states, uh, finally uh, petering out, but it caused great damage, uh, both wind and water, massive amounts of rain in a very short period of time, straight line winds that just knocked down a lot of trees and damaged homes and buildings and so forth. How does Planet X or the 10th planet then tie into this? Is that going to sort of initiate these changes that are about to tip anyway, or what's the thinking there? Right, well, the, the force of, gra- of Planet X is, is gravitational and electromagnetic. It'll, it'll be exerting both on our planet. Uh, and it's done this multiple times in the past. Um, even conventional archaeology will, will show you that about every 3,600 years, uh, five or six civilizations are wiped out, and five or six civilizations begin all over again. Uh, seemingly begin all over with fairly high level of technology, engineering, mathematics, and medicine that shouldn't be there for a brand new civilization, but uh, the civilization uh, knowledge is preserved and it starts over. Uh, and, and that's, but the preservation of that knowledge is in fairly small pockets of people, maybe in mountainous areas, maybe in the Himalayan mountains. Uh, we have records of the Himalayan mountains that go back a long, long way in these, in these various uh, monasteries up there. And so it takes a while to start all over while most people are either dead or are pulling themselves out of the mud and starting all over barefoot peasants with having lost all the technology that was lost. It takes a long time for that technology to be rebuilt. Uh, but technology of a, a very high sophisticated level has existed on this planet also, Mike, and, there, and that's well known within uh, traditional archaeology also, but it's not, well, it's not talked about very much. I'll give you a very good right. example, Mike. Um, a friend of mine, a retired petroleum engineer, traveled the world, and uh, I was having lunch with him one day, and I said, uh, have you ever been to uh, Kashmir, uh, that disputed area between India and Pakistan where the really nice wool comes from? Oh, yeah, John, my wife and I were there on vacation. I said, okay. And tell me, do, or do you know that nuclear we- weapons were set off there 12,000 years ago? Oh, yeah, John, they sell souvenirs in the local souvenir shops commemorating the nuclear devices set off there 12,000 years ago. It's not a secret, Mike. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm familiar, familiar with that um, account. In Saudi uh, Arabian Peninsula, there's hundreds of acres of green glass covering the desert. Now, it wasn't until August of 1945 that we found out how you get the heat of the sun at the surface of the planet. That's what happened in Saudi Arabian Peninsula. That green glass is a consequence of nuclear weapons being set off. No secret either. Well known. Well established. No, no, not even uh, something that, that can be debated. And it's true. I was looking it up. Desert glass formed by ancient atomic bombs? Seven years after the nuclear tests in Alamogordo, New Mexico, Dr. J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, was lecturing at a college when a student asked if it was the first atomic test conducted. Quote, yes, in modern times, he replied. The sentence, enigmatic and incomprehensible at the time, 
was actually an allusion to ancient Hindu texts that describe an apocalyptic catastrophe that didn't correlate with volcanic eruptions or other known phenomena. Oppenheimer, who avidly studied ancient Sanskrit, was undoubtedly referring to a passage in the Bhagavad Gita that describes a global disaster caused by an unknown weapon, a ray of iron. Some crazy shit. Let's continue. While it may be alarming to the scientific community to speak of the existence of atomic weapons before the present cycle of civilization, evidence of this phenomenon seems to whisper its verses in every corner of the planet. I got the sense that there's an there's a um, extinction level event coming that the globalists believe there's an extinction level event coming and that they are everything that we're seeing is part of their preparation for that and that seems congruent with what you're saying that they believe it is, it is. Well, mike i ran for congress in 1996 and that was an experience but we're not going to talk about but that summer of 96 there were mainstream press releases about the Russians building underground cities in the Ural Mountains. And my thinking at the time, the Cold War is over. The threat of nuclear war is over. Why is Russia spending hundreds of millions of dollars building these massive underground cities in the Ural Mountains? Well, now we know, don't we? we I didn't know then, but right. now we know. Because whoever's living in caves or underground missile silos or underground cities... That's what they're doing. Oh, and John, I forgot to tell you, uh, Elon Musk just bought a bunch of land not far from my business operation, our warehouse and manufacturing. I'm aware and, of it. And uh, we, we talked to some of the local people, and his company's buying up all the underground uh, property rights, which is the mining and mineral rights, because they're going to be tunneling under central Texas. They're building tunnel networks. And you're more than 80 to 100 miles from the ocean there, aren't you, sir? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay. And what's your elevation offhand? Do you know? Uh, I think it's like 500-something. Okay. That's marginal, but with enough technology and money, you could probably be made safe. Uh, I had a, a private uh, cons client, uh, consultation client, uh, about 75, 80 miles from the ocean there in Texas. And he picks me up at my hotel, him and his wife, and they're suburban, and we go out to a safe haven he's building, and I open the door and get out, and it's all seashells. And I look at him, he looks at me, and, and I said, you didn't tell your wife about this, did you? And he says, no. <laughs> so um, a friend of mine uh, went uh, on vacation out west, and he climbed on top of one of these mesas, and he found seashells on top of the mesa. They weren't the fossils of seashells. They were the seashells, Mike, and that's a very important distinction. Fossilized seashells are part of rock, embedded in rock. These seashells weren't. They were loose seashells on top of mesas in Arizona. But getting back so, to the technology, this is something you find in your local supermarket, Mike. It's, it's a, a loaf of bread made from a grain called spelt, S-P-E-L-T, commonly sold in grocery supermarkets all over the country. We didn't know because we couldn't know. We didn't have the technology until about 40 years ago, Mike, to determine that spelt, both what we harvest now and what was harvested thousands of years ago because we got spelt grain dug up from uh, you know, ancient sites. Spelt grain is genetically modified. But only, you're talking about over a time through, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. And there's a bonus. It's very radio, radiation resistant, uh. spelt grain. So the point being, like, tech, high, high levels of technology have existed on this planet in the ancient past. 
and there's there's ancient symbols that have been we now we now know represent DNA. We didn't know that before we knew what DNA was, of course, did we, sir? Right, right. Uh, but a lot of it's been lost and rediscovered, like you said. But it seems like you know no civilization has achieved the level of mass pollution that we have achieved. You know, when when this civilization ends, future archaeologists will find lots of dig sites for city dumps and plastics and, and such. I mean, there's going to be lots of evidence. You know, AOL CDs from the 1990s everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely, they will. And. Uh, Current archaeology, and I've talked about my, with my friend Professor McCanny, who's an advanced amateur archaeologist. We could have sitting in the drawers in the basement of the Smithsonian pieces of technology that we don't know what we're looking at. Now, I'll give you an example. If if um, an archaeologist a hundred years ago uh, dug up a, a a DVD, he would think it was some kind of of uh, religious device or something used for ceremony, religious ceremonies or an attractive piece of uh, decoration because he, he wouldn't know what a DVD was all just right. looking at it. And, and uh, so all kinds of examples of technology could be sitting right now in the drawers of the Smithsonian. And of course, one of the better examples of technology being lost is the uh, hieroglyphics that are clearly helicopters. I mean, almost inch by inch, a, a, an artistic representation of helicopters and uh, high-performance jet aircraft swept, swept wing. In fact, the gold uh, um, trinket dug up in South America with swept wings, which looks like a jet aircraft, was the idea for the engineers to make swept wing aircraft, Mike. No, I saw, I saw that. I went to the museum in Quito, Ecuador, uh, and saw the actual artifacts that you're talking about, and they were. One of them looks like the space shuttle, and it's thousands of years old from the ancient Inca, uh, you know, craftspeople. They were, they, were, they were sculpting what they saw. They saw a flying craft, and they sculpted it. it. It's so obvious. Like you say, it's obvious. Of course it's obvious. Of course it's obvious. So if, if you don't... If you don't mind, uh, just pulling all the pieces, pieces together here. So the, the, the globalists know something big is coming, 10th uh, planet, part of it. They know there's a major Earth shift happening. They know that this civilization, as it exists, is going to be wiped out. So why try to kill everybody with vaccines right now, ahead of that? What's, what's the strategy there? Well, first of all, these people are evil. They're, they, I don't know if they worship Lucifer, but they may as well. Uh, once the, once the earth changes become obvious, they won't be able to control these people. Uh, the, the, let's go back, step, take a step back. Uh, people like Elon Musk, they need UPS and FedEx to work like you and I do. The federal government needs UPS and FedEx to work just like you and I do to get deliveries of spare parts and, and necessary items. They want that to continue till the very end because there's always a need for more spare parts. I don't, I don't care if you're the federal government or who you are. There's always something lacking that needs to be delivered. So they want to keep things normal until the very last moment on one hand. On the other, once the earth changes really kick in, uh, people are going to go bonkers crazy. And if there's... Um, 50 million people going bonkers crazy instead of 350 million people going bonkers crazy, that makes it easier for them to control 
the people who are left topside. Good point. Making their, their final preparations. Uh, the man building the, the most sophisticated and, and the nicest uh, private sector shelters, I know him on a first name basis, Robert Vincino. Uh, uh, and he's been building these very nice, very sophisticated shelters for oh, about 20 plus years. Uh, and they're very nice. And I, I choose not to, I, I have an open invitation to go to, the, to one if I chose to, but I, chose, I choose not to. I, I have my own shelter, I have my own plans, and I'm going to stick to them. But I would encourage all our listeners to have their own plans and their own shelters and do that as part of their uh, overall preparedness. It doesn't have to be something as large or sophisticated as, as the government. A, um, you know, a simple structure that's below grade that has some good seismic resistance it doesn't need to be really expensive. It doesn't need to be really large. A place for seeds and tools and people to survive uh, the 200-mile-an-hour winds for about a day. It may be as long as two or three days, but probably a day. But those those winds. I mean, uh, any, anybody living in a, a you know a house built out of two by fours and drywall, forget it. Right? That's that's just gone. That's gone. Your neighborhood's gone. It's like it's like a hurricane swept across the entire planet at that point. Uh, but uh, a concrete safe room might survive above ground if it's not hit by other large objects, as you said. But below ground, a root cellar. You, you got it made. That's that's where you need to be. A friend of mine built what looks like a traditional two-story home with a concrete basement. And he says, John, those top two stories could be gone, and the basement has a concrete roof. It's going to be fine. There you go. Many, many people have a home with a garage uh, and a basement under the garage. So that that's a built-in shelter right there. I've seen these homes. I've worked on them myself. A basement with a garage that includes the basement. Uh, all you need to make you got you know three walls already, one more wall, and you're good to go for a a nice uh, uh, about 400 square foot sh- shelter there. What will be the first? I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just so fascinating. When do you think the public will ever learn? Like, what's going to be the first indication that this is happening? Because I don't think I mean the globalists aren't going to warn people in advance. Obviously, no, they're not. When are people going to know? I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, it's here. What what the Navy told uh, the veterans uh, in these classified briefings is, one, it'll take about thirty days for the it to become obvious that the uh, sh- that the worldwide flooding is kicking into place. Um, that's what that's what they were told. Um, as to the exact scenario, how it's going to play out, I, I quite frankly don't know uh, how it's going to play out. Uh, what's going to happen first? The flooding the uh, uh, 200-mile-an-hour winds, the uh, kill shot. Uh, my best guess is about a, a 30-day period of time for all those things to take place and, and things start settling down. That's my, that's my best guess could, based on what I know, Mike. Could amateur astronomers be able to spot, I mean, is, is, is the 10th planet going to swing by? Well, that's Earth's a good question. Orbital? Well, um, the month of, what we've always known for years is you can only see it with a naked eye in the, in the visible light spectrum in June. Otherwise, it's got this red dust. And which, there's some biblical things that kick in also. Uh, when the, uh, and we can thank Emmanuel Velikowski for the following. Um, biblical references that he verified by ancient texts in South America, Northern Europe, and in Asia. When the, when the Hebrews in the Sinai Desert saw the water turn red, well, there was a date 
given for that. And uh, the ancient peoples had calendars. And what Velikowski did that nobody else took the time to, he was a medical doctor, not an archaeologist. What he did, Mike, was reconcile the, the ancient calendars. You can't compare events until the, the uh, calendars are reconciled first. Makes sense. Yeah. When the Hebrews saw the water turn red in the Sinai Desert, so did the people in South America, so did people in China, so did people in Northern Europe, because they had written records and they had calendars. And the, all the water on the planet turned red at the same time. When the Hebrews were hungry and they had this sticky, sweet stuff they picked up off the ground to eat called manna from heaven, so did the people in South America, so did the people in, in Northern Europe, and so did the people in um, uh, ancient, ancient China because they all had calendars and left written records. And they picked up the same sticky brown stuff and ate it themselves. When the Hebrew army needed another few hours of daylight to defeat their enemy, that was recorded, the date was recorded, and people in South America recorded the same thing. And here's what was Valakowski thought. If the sun didn't come up in Sinai Desert when it was supposed to, then by definition, it didn't set over China when it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. And Mike, it didn't. So something altered Earth's rotation that day. Precisely. That's the only way that can happen. People can say, well, it was God. Well, uh, of course it was God on, uh, on one hand. But on the other, uh, for the sun to stay up in the Sinai Desert longer meant the sun didn't come up over China when it was supposed to. That, that's right. And yeah, God works through the planets and, and nature and cosmic powers. Yeah, that's... Precisely. So... <laughs> Then in terms of, if we were to try to take an inferential guess here about timelines, we, we can't help but notice the extreme urgency of mass vaccinations. We've never seen governments so desperate to kill people ever before. I mean, and, and they don't care about our health. If they cared about our health, you know, you, they would have banned sodium nitrite in hot dogs, you know, in 1979. This is about obviously injecting everybody as quickly as possible. Possible death scenarios, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, appear to be around the flu season, January, February of next year. It seems like they want a lot of people dead within the next year or two, reasonably. Well, Mike, uh, I was talking to somebody. Well, I'm not going to mention any names because there's confidentiality, confidential information. Or I want to maintain his, his privacy. He believes he's well-connected at the highest levels of government. He says we got about two years. Two years. Yeah. What did he? What else does he know that you're willing to share? Any? any he wants to be my neighbor. <laughs> I, I would imagine. Yeah, <laughs> you've been preparing for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, not because I'm here, but because it's the Ozarks. Um, he and his partner, if I mention his name, you would know it instantly. Uh, they were ready to buy a, a, a place, a very nice gated community in in West Virginia, three thousand feet above sea level, and. Uh, it would have been safe for everything except population density. And he, right. never, he and his partner, who uh, I won't mention his name, uh, they just hadn't considered that. The population density, uh, the, the location is about, oh, 125 miles from Metro D.C. <laughs> okay. You know, not, it, not it's, it's a beautiful around. area, and, and normally it's, it's very isolated, normally. Now, do you— Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, but— uh, I've been in through the Ozarks, beautiful country, beautiful. Uh, the the lake of the Ozarks is massive. People have no clue how big that is. It's over uh, a thousand miles around the edge of the lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shoreline is just huge. 
uh, do you have, do you have a cave? Cause I know there are caves there. I mean, do you have a cave or uh, if you're willing to say, I don't, I'm not trying to pry, but do you have a cave to get to or what, you know, what's your well, plan? Caves. Missouri's a cave state. And, and despite the, I have a seal reinforced concrete structure that is, uh, pretty much underground uh, that we think is going to be safe enough. Okay. Caves nearby. There's caves in walking distance. There was a cave not far to me on the, on the side of a bluff that you can only get into it by rappelling uh, down the side of a bluff. Uh, not very handy, but uh, it is. Yeah, that sounds dangerous all by itself. Um, and, and what about, you know, the Three Gorges Dam in China cannot possibly survive, nor can the Hoover Dam. I mean, all these dams and these massive concrete structures around the world, when this unleashes... Well, it's certainly at risk. I mean, how could a, how could a dam survive all of these changes? Every structure that kind is built with a certain level of seismic resistance. That's true. To resist a four-point quake, a five-point quake, um, and it's a logarithmic log system. When you go from five to six, you've, you've it's ten times the, the strength, you know, a thousand right. percent. But you were talking about a nine-point something on the New Madrid fault. There, that's very, very few. I mean, with a given enough money, a human-built structure can survive that. It takes a lot of money to do that, to spend wow. uh, to get the engineering up to that level. Uh, I would say. Uh, Post-tension concrete with enough steel would, would probably survive. Um, it's a post-tension concrete will survive almost anything if it's built properly. Amazing. So, yeah. But I have an interesting follow-up on Hoover Dam. Okay. Now, uh, you're probably aware of the um, tunnels on the north, north rim of the Grand Canyon where the artifacts were found. Yes. Okay. There is a follow-up on that. A friend of mine, uh, he, he was an intelligence analyst like I was. He was given the task with 99 other men. They arrived at Hoover Dam, which is about 50 miles from uh, the north rim of the Grand Canyon, by the way. And they were issued uh, ATVs, cameras, measuring tapes, various uh, measuring and, and photographing instruments. Uh, and they were split up and two-man teams, they spent the day entering the tunnels that go all the way to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, measuring the boreholes. Boreholes about the right size for modern uh, fiber optic cables to see where they went. Um, they spent the whole day there measuring, taking photographs and so forth, of the man-made caves, tunnels, I should say, that... Uh, it would have to be a lot of miles of tunnels to have 52-man te teams with ATVs no in eight or ten hours measuring and photographing, Mike. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a complex like what Elon Musk is rebuilding. Exactly. Now, ancient Egyptian artifacts were found in there in the, late, in the later part of the 19th century. Newspaper accounts were uh, published locally. Uh, the last part saying, last paragraph saying the Smithsonian came in. Now, Mike, if you were to go to the north rim of the Grand Canyon and attempt to do anything there, you'd be arrested because yeah. that's off limits to normal civilians. The north rim of the Grand Canyon is strictly off limits to normal civilians that's right. to this day. That's right. That's right. Well, what final thoughts do you want to leave with people who, if they've heard, if this is the first time Get your spiritual house in order and get out of the cities, 
get to an area 600 feet or higher above uh, above sea level and and make sure you've got a safe haven 600 feet or more above sea level at a great at a good distance from a major setting that's my advice well and those are there are very few areas like that you know east of the mississippi in the united states there are uh, but do what you do what you can right Okay. All right. Well, the Ozarks is your choice. Uh, I'm going to be hanging out in central Texas. And then uh, after we survive in our, in our concrete structures, um, uh, then, then, then like all the, all the tops will pop off of the missile silos and all these globalists will flood out. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, it's Elon Musk and his 500 children, or, you know, or whatever. And it's like, that's their plan, right? They're going to flood back onto the surface and, and take over after everybody's dead. They think they, so. They, <laughs> they think so? They think so. The, well, they're wrong because we are the hardcore survivors. If we make it through all that and we're still here, uh, they're going to have a fight on their hands. <laughs> well, a couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden said you need F-15s and tanks to resist the government. Well, tell that to the Viet Cong. <laughs> Good point. So there you have it. That was The Tenth Planet and The Coming Apocalypse with John Moore. Special thanks to Mike Adams at Brighteon.com for hosting the interview and all our listeners here at Exit the Cult. If you have any questions or comments about our show, you can email us at exitthecult at protonmail.com or visit us at exitthecult.com. Have a killer weekend. Don't be a killer. catch new episodes of Exit the Cult every Friday. Be sure to tune in on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time.